Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Fifty one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One, fly ball, deep left center. Chris, on the run. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. I'm now get ready this is the platinum sombrero podcast with your hosts dylan short and adam doc herbert Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero brought to you by Armchair Media and our friends at Bet Online. You guys know what I'm going to say, but they pay me to say it, so I'm going to say it again anyway. BetOnline.ag is the number one place to go for any and all online sports betting needs. There's a lot of sports going on right now. Baseball is quickly heading towards the playoffs. Whether or not you like the expanded playoffs, this is the type of year where everything crazy happening. If you want to lay some money on the Padres going all the way, betonline.ag can help you out. NBA is in the thick of the playoffs right now. If you've got a surprise team like the Heat that you think are going to win it all, go to betonline.ag. College football is about to kick off their first real college football Saturday this week. BetOnline.ag. If you want to bet on NFL, we've got NFL football this Sunday. BetOnline.ag. I don't know how many other times I have to say it. They've got live betting. They've got live in-game betting. They've got every every prop bet you can possibly want. BetOnline.ag. Go there, win some money, and show off how smart you are and how good of a better you are. If you ever like playing Stump the Schwab, go to BetOnline and put your money where your mouth is. BetOnline.ag. Go there and win now. All right, so full disclosure for everybody listening. Uh, we're going to try to do our normal thing, which is good, bad, good. I warned Doc before this show that uh, I'm not exactly in a super happy headspace. Is <laughs> anybody that listened to my Locked On show today uh, and the show that will be coming on Saturday will be able to tell you. Um, but for Doc, I'm going to try my best to be as positive as possible. Um, we are gonna, still going to keep it real because we're not going to lie to you guys. But uh, Doc, I think we can be honest enough to say this has not been an optimal week to be a Braves fan. It has not been my favorite week. No, it just seems like kind of uh, after the the Red Sox series, you know, there was all types of good juju going on during that series. I felt right in the middle of a five-game winning streak, and Ozuna hit the three home runs, and then Duvall did it. And then uh, the first game against the Nets, Acuna hit two, and then he hit a third one in the in the second half of the doubleheader. I mean, everything still was counts. Looking- 
Three homers in nine innings still counts. It still counts. No, that it definitely still counts. And it, and it was a record when Ozuna and Duvall did it. So it's definitely a record when Acuna did it too, making it three straight games or three straight days rather. So, I mean, it was the era of good feelings for about a week. And then uh, it seems like everything has gone pretty, pretty widely downhill since then. I mean, the team's still in first place. I mean, there's only so so disappointed you can really be from that perspective. But once you start looking at the nuts and bolts of what's going on right now, the team kind of has this Charlie Brown black cloud that's following them around. And it seems like it's been following them around for a little bit, but they haven't been as able to outrun it over the past couple of days. So um, old saying says uh, when you're at rock bottom, you can only go straight up or sideways. So I'm, I'm getting my fingers crossed for going straight up from here. Yeah, we're going to get that football eventually. But there is some good news. Uh, if you're looking for any sort of silver lining today, the Braves and us as fans do get to enjoy the beauty that is Ozzy Albee's baseball back in the Braves lineup as he's brought up. Uh, he's activated off the aisle today. Johan Camargo sent down a corresponding move. Uh, I was a little surprised at Johan getting sent down when he did. I think, I think it has more to do with the option. Um, it, it just kind of looked bad optic-wise for Johan to actually be on a hitting streak for once this season and then make w- his first error of the season and get benched. But I do think it's because I don't think it was meant for Etch to be starting over Camargo, but I think Etch has been swinging the bat better. And Snit had just decided that he wanted the bat in the lineup, which I can understand. And Camargo has an option. But um, anytime you can get Ozzy Albies back into this lineup, that's a good thing. And it's not just the offensive potential. I think I think that you're right about uh, Camargo's option playing a role. And even while he was on that hitting streak, some of it seemed like he was lucking into it a little bit. I hate to, to take anything away from him, but even his his uh, approach, he would just have really bad swings, and he would miss like some some heaters that were coming right down the middle. So even with the hitting streak, I think that they were kind of frustrated with him. And based on the fact that he did have that going. I thought that he might have been working through some type of injury that they didn't think was serious enough to to send him to the IL. But now he'll be down at the alternate site. He can get regular at bats. And I think that for as far as a playoff series goes, I think I would the team would be much more likely to carry Camargo uh, than they would Hechevarria just because he's a switch hitter. But yeah, the option plays a big role there. But any way you cut it, Ozzy being back is so good for this team. It's a they need a shot in the arm, which is kind of kind of what it seems like they've been really listless as a squad ever since the trade deadline. And I th- I was thinking about this earlier today. Ozzy is in a similar position to what Riley was in at the beginning of last month. You can in five years somebody's going to look back at Ozzy Albee's 2020 and say what happened here because he had the two really good seasons or the good 2017 and then built on it a little bit for 18 and then 19 he was just like superstar right and so he dug such a hole for himself at the early part of the season that even if he comes back now and hits just like 2019 Ozzy Albee's he's basically going to just break even for the rest of the season so. It's all about who's hot going into the playoffs, and Ozzy being back now, having the chance to face real live pitching to get uh, 18 days worth worth of games going into the playoffs. I think this is a fantastic timing, and he's a better option than either Camargo or Hetch on offense or on defense. Plus, he makes Acuna happy, and isn't that what we're all after? <laughs> Now, I do think that they would be more likely to carry Hatch over Camargo just for the fact that Hatch can play shortstop. And right now, he's the only backup shortstop you have on the roster since Charlie Culberson was DFA'd, um, which I don't know if I should be surprised or not at the 
just the outrage that happened when Charlie got DFA'd. Like, I, I don't know why anybody was surprised. I mean, if a guy can't get into a game when Ender Inciarte is hitting as bad as he is and Camargo is hitting as bad as he is and Riley was hitting as bad as he was and Nick Marcakis is like 0 for his last 64,000. Um, <laughs> I mean, Charlie has the most recent playing time Charlie has is as a reliever in a spot that you and I both can agree was a horrendous spot and pretty much an inexcusable usage uh, in a three-run game. But, uh, I, I mean, I like Charlie the guy. Uh, I hope it works out for him. Um, this weird notion that Charlie's a starter and the Braves just don't use him correctly, it's not borne out in any fact because people can tell you all they want that, yeah, he turned down a, a major league opportunity somewhere else. That's not true. You don't turn down a guaranteed major league spot to take an NRI minor league deal. I don't care how much you like the team. No major league player is doing that. Um, but I certainly wish Charlie all the best. Uh, he's a good dude, a really good dude, and really, really strong in the clubhouse, which I do think is one of the reasons why the Braves wanted to keep him on the roster for as long as they can. But now that you're getting Ozzy back and you got to float some stuff around with the pitching department, there's just you just couldn't make another move. Like you can't you can't carry any more dead weight than you already are with Ender and Ciarte. And Ender makes eight million dollars, so Ender's not getting DFA'd. Well, not to mention with expanded rosters, you know, you cert- everybody has to have a purpose. You know, you you can be a little bit more creative with how you arrange the roster, but you got to use everybody. And Culverson had like. I really think it was like seven plate appearances all all year long. And nobody's claimed him yet, and I'm kind of of the mind that nobody's necessarily going to, or they they would have already. I'd agree. He'll be back in the alternate site. Yeah, I think think it'll be very similar to Fulte, where they're just going to float him through, and then if nobody picks him up, you know, they send him him to Gwinnett and just wait for it. But, I mean, if this is the end of Charlie's tenure, well, I think it's kind of hilarious that it would have ended with him pitching instead of hitting. And we saw it in 2018. That's when he had the really, really, that's when the the legend of Charlie Clutch was born. Because he had some amazingly clutch hits that year. And some of that bled into 2019. But every time that he's hit so well that the team tried to utilize him as a starter, it just hasn't gone well. Like, he really is best served as a pinch hitter. And I do. The more played appearances, the more ABs a game he gets, the worse he is. Well, you want I can I can tell you by the way I can tell you why he hits better as a pinch hitter than he does as a starter. Tell me. I mean it's pretty simple. Charlie can hit anybody's fastball. Charlie hits fastballs really well. When you come off the bench cold, the relievers most likely to throw you fastballs rather than off-speed pitches. When you're starting, starters are going to work more breakers than fa- like they've got two or three distinct breaking balls usually between a curveball, slider or a changeup or any combination of the three. So you're going to inherently see more breaking balls. Charlie does not hit breaking balls well at all. He's a fastball hitter. When you come in as a pinch hitter, the first pitch you're going to get more than likely is going to be a fastball. So as long as you're a guy that is able to keep your timings, I think that's Charlie's biggest skill is that he doesn't have like a warm-up period. Like he's ready to go just grab a bat and go swing. And he's pretty much like, like Eric Hinsky was able to do essentially where he, he doesn't need a warm-up period to get ready to go. So for Charlie, I agree with you. Charlie's a pinch hitter is really his best role. For any team that is kind of on the fringes, you know, look at a team like the Orioles. You know, I still can't believe that that they're alive they're like Dude, have, they're like they're better than the yankees right now yeah i mean they if the playoffs started tomorrow they, they would miss them by half a game so there's still an opportunity for them but if i'm a team like the orioles or the marlins you take a chance on a guy like that because you can plug him in and say we actually have playing time for you or if nothing else we just added 
a not quite elite, but a very close to elite pinch hitter to our bench, which that this seems like a very bizarre classification to be an elite pinch hitter. But <laughs> everybody has to have a role. Yeah, we, we just hope he catches on somewhere. Or if he does wind up back in Gwinnett and he comes back here, that he comes and and has some some more of those clutch moments because he was doing that Charlie Clutch stuff back when he was still with the Dodgers. It was he had a extra his inning. final season, his final season with the Dodgers. He had that extra inning home run in the playoffs for the Dodgers. Uh, then the Braves signed him in 2018 is when he was worth a full F war and very limited opportunities for the Braves. That's when he had, what, the four or five walk-offs. It seemed like he did it to the Nationals every time we played them. Last year he had that big-time throw, but really last year he was not good. He was not a good player last year. Uh, 2018 was definitely his high-water mark. But even aside from that, I know we make fun of like veteran presence and we make fun of clubhouse uh, presence and how much that actually matters. But for a team like the Orioles, a team that's full of just young guys, that's that's a locker room that Charlie can actually, you know, really actually provide value for outside of what he does on the field. Yeah, and and provide a provide a meaning meaningful role for a team that is probably too young to realize that they're not supposed to be where they are right now. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that's something that we talk about a lot that a lot of why some people are shocked when these teams full of young guys overperform like the San Diego Padres this year. Young guys, when they come up, they don't know that they're not supposed to be a good team, so they just go out there and play, and their natural talent will take over. I think there is there is fatigue with older players and veteran players in the league, not just physical fatigue, but fatigue of oh, we're not a we're not a strong team. We don't have the same type of players as these guys, and so you inherently that inherently kind of limits you a little bit when you get these young squads like Atlanta in 2018 or um, Milwaukee in 2017. When you get these teams that we say, oh, well, they're they're a year or two ahead of schedule. Generally, it's because they've got a lot of talented young players that don't know that they're not as talented as the rest of the league yet or that they're not supposed to be as talented as the rest of the league. So um, hoping the best for Charlie. I, I do think he'll end up back in Atlanta, but that's already more time spent on Charlie than he's warranted this season. Um, just just uh, not the type of guy that I would expect to get the outrage that he got or the vitriol that he got, quite honestly. He's a guy that, quite honestly, should be... Uh, an under-the-radar thing to begin with either way. But uh, just focusing on Ozzy being back, if you've looked at the lineups for tonight, we're recording this on Wednesday, Ozzy's in the eight-hole, which is something we all kind of wondered uh, where he would slot back in. We thought Snip might bump him right back to second. But I really like the lineup for tonight. You've got Acuna leading off. You've got Freddie at two. You've got Marcel at three. You've got Darno at four. Dansby, who's been red hot, you've got him fifth, so you can hopefully get some RBI opportunities with him and help him drive some runs in the middle to the back end of that lineup. I'm a big fan that Riley's hitting sixth, I think, and then du- Duvall seventh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and and then Ozzy and then Ender. Um, I like that lineup. It is very telling that Marquecas is benched against a righty again in place of Ender and Ciarte. Um, not exactly ideal. But you had the numbers yesterday, and they're actually even worse now than what you posted then. I believe I believe Nick is like O for his last, what O for his last twenty nine. I think it was O for his last twenty six. And this actually, once again, we were, you were just mentioning that we like to bang on the clubhouse presence. I mean, Nick Markakis is another one of those guys who brings way more than the back of his baseball card, and he just doesn't have it right now. I don't know if it's a timing issue. Or if it's like I was positing about Camargo, maybe it's maybe he's he kind of tweaked something and he hasn't said anything, and that they don't think that it's serious enough to to warrant an IL stint. But yeah, he's he's really struggling right now. It yeah, it's it's he 
really he had that really good run when he first came back, but ever since that run, it's, it's like his OPS has dropped like a full 300 points. Um, and the Braves kind of need him to get going because I do think since for whatever weird reason, the front office and Snicker both, both seem to have no desire to play Christian Pache this year. And if that's going to happen, you've got to, if you're not going to play him, then you've got to get something from the trio of Duvall and Ender and Marcakis. And Duvall had that stretch where he wasn't doing very well. Lately, he's picked it up um, and he, he's finally got his WRC plus back up and he's starting to, to mash again a little bit. But ultimately, I think you and I can both agree his best skill set would be as a platoon mate with Mark Hakes, to where both of them are just allowed to mash against guys that they mash against and not having to face people that kind of tune them up all that often. But for that to happen, you'd need to have a center fielder that you could trust, which, you know, for you and me would be Christian Pache, but it doesn't seem like Atlanta is really planning to use Christian at all this season. So uh, I'm not certain why that is. I think it's I think that's probably the worst decision of the season, and I, I don't know that there's an actual logical explanation for it. Um, but that's the hand that you're dealt, and we can complain about it, and I certainly will. Um, but it's not going to change anything, so you just got to kind of handle what you can handle. If it was up to me, then yeah, Pache would be in there every single day. Bat him ninth if you have to, but... Team already knows that the $8 million it's going to enter is pretty much a sunk cost, so you might as well play him. And at least at least for right now, at least for right now, Duvall seems to be mashing. And Marcakis is one of these guys that even when he's struggling, I worry less about a struggling Marcakis than I do a lot of other guys because he does... Let's see, how can I wear this? Ning Marcakis does plenty of things good, but the thing that he does good best... <laughs> is is just being being a pure hitter. He's he's not a massive power guy, and, and he doesn't necessarily have to be because he can hit. He can time up anything just about. So I don't worry about him struggling for too long. It's just a question of the older he gets, what constitutes too long. So at least for now, Duvall is in there. He's he's hitting well, and I don't know. I I, I keep looking for some for some big. Shake up, but if it didn't come from the outside, I'm not really sure it's going to come from the inside either. And Lord knows I blame Brian Snicker for a lot of things, and I will continue to do so. Um, the Pache thing is not just from Brian Snicker because if the front office really wanted Pache being used, Alex would have just DFA'd Ender and said, you know, something along the lines of, we get more value. He wouldn't say this publicly, but like you'd actually get more value out of that $8 million by not playing Ender than you do playing him. So if if it was if the front office, because I've seen this kind of floating around, that the front office wants to play Pache and Snit doesn't, uh, I don't think that that's true at all because Alex could easily DFA Ender and take that option away from Brian Snicker. I think it's kind of a combination of both. I'm not certain why it is. I mean, you, you can say he's not ready offensively, but his numbers at AAA would tell you that you're wrong. Um. But that's that's just is what it is, and until then, Ronald's going to be playing. I hope that Ronald gets to play mostly right field. I know we're a better lineup when Marcakis is hitting and Duvall's playing in left, and Marcakis is in right. But there is something to be said for if Acuna is your right fielder of the future, and he is, unless they deal Pache and Drew Waters, then he needs to be playing the position that he's going to be playing because there's this idea that you can just kind of any outfielder can play any outfield position. 
but it's not really true. It's the same as the infield. Like just because you play a good shortstop doesn't mean you can play a good second base. And you've seen it with Echeverria and Camargo over these two errors that they made flipping the ball to second. Everything's in reverse, so it, your footwork is is reversed as well, and it's not really as comfortable. When you're talking about playing center versus playing a corner, the way you take your reads in center is different from the way you take your reads in a corner. The way you approach your positioning is different. So it, it is a little bit different. Um, and and for somebody that's only played really basically just been always assumed that he's the center fielder ever. I know the Braves don't like to just give a prospect center field right away. They did the same thing with Andrew. I would assume they're going to do the same thing with Pache. I don't agree with it, but I can understand if you, like, I, I, I just don't understand why you would say that right now Ender is a better option when Ender's not fielding very well and he's also not hitting. Um, that, that's just a head-scratcher, but uh, hopefully Nick can kind of sort some stuff out and, and find a way to, you know, go back to being, you know, a singles and doubles guy and at least be able to slot in. Hopefully when he comes back, if he starts hitting again, he can slot in the seven or eight spot in the lineup or the seven spot, at least where he kind of belongs. Because um, I, I, I think that if you put Nick lower in the order, you take a little bit of the pressure off of him. You're putting him in a more ideal place for what he is right now. And I've got no problems with the lineup. Let's like let's be perfectly clear. People talk about the Braves lineup and how they can't score runners from third to less than two outs. It's actually not true. Uh, I was doing the the work on it yesterday, and I, I don't know what the updated ones are for today. But as of yesterday, uh, the Braves were fourth in Major League Baseball in getting runners to third with less than two outs, and they were fifteenth in driving them in. So like that's not great. That's dead in the middle. But I think if you were just to take a poll of Braves fans, they would have assumed that the Braves were in the bottom third of the league and scoring runners from third base with less than two outs. Uh, count me in that. I, I would have I would have guessed that they were one for about 3,000 doing that this year. So that's actually that's good to know that half the league is worse than we are at that. Yeah, and it, it just goes to show it looks worse because of how many runners the Braves get at third base and because it always seems to be at the most inopportune times. But the other thing that we can point out, um, there, there's people that now that the bullpen has kind of had a shaky last week or so, um, the bullpen is, is, is actually second best area of the team might even you could even argue that it's the best area of the team right now the bullpen is basically top five and just about everything era fip and xfip the braves bullpen has been elite uh, the braves lineup is one of the top three offensive lineups in major league baseball uh, really the only thing dragging them down is the starting rotation doc if i were to ask you where the Braves' starting rotation ranked in terms of uh era fip and xfip what would you say bottom five in each, I would guess. You'd be right. Um, well, you'd be right about everything except for FIP. So this is before Kyle Wright's start last night. They were 27th in ERA, 24th in FIP, and 27th in XFIP. So that right there, that tells you what your problem is. Now, it makes the trade deadline even more baffling, um, but it, it doesn't make a lot of sense no matter any way you slice it, but uh, that right there, that's your issue. And if you're talking about what can the Braves do in the playoffs this year? The conversation starts and ends with the starting rotation. Yeah, and th- this newest news about Freed going on the injured list, I mean, you can look at it at a couple of different ways. I mean, the Braves have like a 2% chance of winning the World Series, and that's probably being generous. But without Max Freed, it's zero. And so... Is it possible to have a negative percent? Uh, Gee, Liz, if you're the Red Sox this year, maybe. <laughs> um, y- You know... For a guy like Max, they they do have guys that they can plug in to just kind of 
serve as a bridge to the playoffs? Because I mean, as of as of yesterday, the the Braves' playoff percentage chances were ninety nine point four. Now, it being September, we have seen them implode like this before. It's gonna take it's gonna take a pretty big implosion, which it's a miracle. We we've talked a bunch about it. it's it's absolutely preposterous that this particular run of luck has kept the Braves in in first place. So for right now, they know that Max Fried needs to just kind of take a second. We need you for the playoffs. It wouldn't surprise me if you know they're saying he's going to be back against the Orioles or he'll be back against the Mets. I don't even know if they need to rush it back unless unless it looks like they're going to fall out of first place. Then I I think they should just make absolutely positive, just like they did with Ozzy, give him plenty of time, because this is a cornerstone for your franchise. And certainly for this year, th- this team hinges more on Max Fried than it does on anybody else. I'll and, go a step further. I think Max is your number one non-Ronald Acuna cornerstone. So get him get him good for now. And, you know, Tomlin looked okay in his last start against the Nats. He went six innings. That's that's good. That's that's fine. Tommy Malone looked much better than he did in his first start. Still not great, but did look much better. So Ian Anderson had his first bad start, but you know Kyle Wright came up last night and he he, he threw strikes. You <laughs> we know? should we should talk about that. We laugh at the Kyle Wright start, and obviously the line was horrendous and just more of the same from Kyle Wright. And if you didn't watch the game. You'd probably think he looked more the same of what he did before he got sent down. He did look substantially different. It just wasn't different enough. Like it wasn't different in the right ways. Like you'll hear a lot of people, particularly prospect guys and particularly analytics guys in in specificity, will say process over results. And for Kyle Wright, that last night's a pretty good example of that. Because if you were to look at the process for Kyle Wright, you're right. He he threw a lot more strikes. He attacked hitters a whole lot more. He only walked two people, which for him, that's you know like a 66% decrease. Uh, he, he did do a lot better being in the zone. Now the issue with that is sometimes you're going to make a pitch and, and a big league hitter is going to beat you. Uh, he got victimized for three homers. I believe it was two solo shots and a two-run homer, I believe. Um, but Joyce got him, but we know what Matt Joyce can do against right-handed pitchers. Uh, Jorge Alfaro got him, and Alfaro is just stupid strong. And Garrett Cooper got him, and when Garrett Cooper makes contact, that's kind of all Garrett Cooper can do is hit home runs. So I'm not, I'm not upset at him for giving up the home runs. There, there were a substantial change in that now he's standing about as far on the first base side of the rubber that you can. Um, I don't think that's feasible long-term because while the fastball looked a lot better, it had a lot more life on it. He was throwing 95, 96 pretty consistently and looked like it was bearing down and in on those righties. He wasn't missing arm side as often. The issue when you're that far towards first base is now his slider is going to be far more ineffective because he doesn't have that kind of flatter area on the mound to use as like a springboard. The farther you are off to the side, when you come down with your plant leg, you're going to be towards towards a, a decline on the side and forward and it's going to affect how far it's going to affect the the spin basically and the break on your slider and if he doesn't have his sharp slider he's not going to succeed because if you look at Kyle Wright's numbers last year to this year how his slider has been hit is drastically different last year his slider was shortlist elite like nobody was touching it this year his slider is getting pulverized now is that something that that can be fixed over an offseason or is that just a diagnosis of the pitch itself? Oh sure, it can be fixed. I'm not I don't think it'll be fixed pitching on the far left side of the, or far right side of the rubber towards first base. I think 
generally when you see pitchers do that, there's a couple of pitchers who are able to sustain doing that, but they're guys with weirder deliveries. Guys like Chris Sale, who's got a very like wide-ranging delivery where he almost steps sideways. Like You can't have a traditional delivery that far off to the side of the rubber. You have to come you have to have some sort of swing or some sort of different mechanics. And I just think I think they would be better served. If he's gonna be on that side of the rubber, he's gonna have to shift more to the changeup and actually use his curveball because the slider is just not going to be as effective. It's gonna end up more in the middle of the plate or outside. It's gonna be really hard for him to spot it up on the outside corner for a strike. And if you can't throw your slider for a strike at times, then it's going to be pretty easy because now they know if it's in the middle, they're going to hit it a long way. If you're aiming towards the outside corner, it's a ball. So you'd need something with a little bit more vertical drop as opposed to horizontal if you're going to be that far off on the rubber, Uh, which coming out of Vanderbilt, a lot of people thought Kyle's curve was almost as good as his slider or was as good as his slider. We haven't seen it really as a big leaguer. We Actually, we saw him basically ditch the pitch uh, coming into this season, which was supposed to be kind of the main thing. When he came back up in the bullpen role, he kind of ditched the curveball and went fastball slider. So the fastball looked a lot better. The slider looked a lot worse. Just need to find a way to kind of bridge the gap between the two. Uh, and that's much easier said than done. Um, but for Kyle, he, he's going to have to. Otherwise, he's going to be relegated to a, a one to two inning uh, reliever role. You know, and it's important to remember, you know, after any prospect has has a rough start, you see a lot of people throwing around, oh my God, this guy's a bust. And I mean, Kyle Wright has 44 and two thirds innings in his He's major got league. nine starts. He's got nine starts. Nine you can't starts. Call him a bust. You can't call him a bust yet. I mean, it's not like everybody can just come up and be Soroka and instantly be on it from the get go. And what you see from his first start is basically what he is. Um, yeah, it does take some guys longer to develop. And Wright was. It's viewed a little bit differently because Wright was a college senior, but he didn't have a college senior's like command pedigree. Like he was a little bit more of a high school pitcher profile. He was very raw coming out of Vanderbilt, which is not something you usually associate with a Vanderbilt pitcher. Everybody thinks that they're all going to be David Price or Sonny Gray and basically come out and be ready to go, but that that's not the case with Kyle Wright. So it's a little bit of a different profile. I do think it kind of hurts him a little bit that he was taken so high and he's what 24, or 25. He's a little bit older than some of the other guys that he's directly pitching with. Um, I do think that hurts him a little bit, but this isn't unexpected. Um, I think we would have liked if he would be further along, especially if you thought that he's a front-of-the-rotation type of guy. You would expect him to be a little bit further along than he is. But if you look at his AAA numbers and then look at his Major League numbers, it's not that surprising where he's at. It's not like he dominated AAA. I mean, it, in a perfect world, he probably wouldn't be up right now. In a perfect world, the Braves would still be utilizing him in a traditional minor league setting, trying to get him fully ready to go. That's such an important point that you make right there. I mean, they they needed him to to come in and and eat some innings, and he's he's kind of not ready. You know, he's he's close, but but he's not ready yet. And even when you see flashes. It's inspiring, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's ready. And the fact that he can't go and get reps against anybody other than Braves minor league hitters, I mean, it's it's probably working to his detriment. And this the truncated nature of the season, you know, we made a big deal about everything counts times 2.5 or 2.64, whatever the multiplier is for this year, to, for 60 games to 162. So it makes everything look so much worse because there's people going pulling their hair out going, oh my God, we don't have time for this. Well, that's not Kyle Wright's fault. You know, we're five weeks into a season, six weeks into a season right now. Normally it's like June 1st. And if somebody is struggling like this on June 1st, 
send them back to the miners, work it out, and and keep going. But they don't have that luxury right now because it's not like it's not like anybody else that's coming up is really just making a huge difference. So I'll be curious to see what they do with him if they keep him up and try and run him out there again. If they were inspired by that, I like the fact that he just let he walked the two and in four innings. The the last start he had, he went three innings and walked six. You might get beat. You gotta make them beat you, and that's it's really hard to hit three home runs if you're just throwing ball after ball after ball. Like, you have to be working around the zone. And in his last two starts, it looked like he had kind of lost the ability to do that. So, baby steps. Don't give up on Kyle Wright yet. Don't give up on any Braves prospect who has been with the organization for two years, three years, and is under the age of 25. I mean, it takes some guys some time. And please stop comparing Kyle Wright and Ian Anderson, and any prospect, stop comparing them to Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, and Greg Maddox. That is so remarkably unfair. I know comps are sexy, and it, it's it's an extreme example, but you that even that puts even more pressure on these guys to say, oh well, these Hall of Famers sucked at the beginning. Yeah, well, there were a lot of guys who sucked at the beginning who didn't make a hall make the Hall of Fame. You know, you're comparing them to like not just Hall of Famers, but like shortlist hall of famers like no doubt hall of famers like not like somebody that just kind of squeaked in and did it on the backs of a long career you're talking about three three guys that at the time that they were all starting together were three of the absolute best pitchers in baseball and some of the best pitchers that baseball had seen in a long time i don't know if people kind of realize how great the pitching was in the 90s and the late 80s you're talking about at a time where like i i wonder if the fact that you know, Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz were pitching at the same time as, you know, Roger Clemens and Pedro Martinez and Kurt Schilling and uh, Andy Pettit and Mike Messina and all these guys. If, if people kind of don't really appreciate what unicorns these guys really were. It was, a, it was an amazing time for the sport. And, and I'm not saying, you know, maybe Kyle Wright does turn into John Smoltz. Well, but, I'm I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say that's probably not likely. They don't throw the same way. Um, well, I mean, but, but, I would, but you understand, I, I know you what, understand you're what I'm saying. Yeah. I know what you're saying. And I, I agree to a degree. I actually think that one of the weird things you can say is being wild and not being able to throw strikes like Kyle Wright previously where he's walking six, it can actually kind of hide a lack of stuff because if you're not throwing enough strikes, hitters aren't going to be hitting as many homers off of you. So you're not going to be able to tell if your stuff is actually like grade A stuff or not. Like the way that I'll compare them is look at Kyle Wright and look at Wasker and Noah. Um, people would assume that Kyle Wright is ahead of Wasker and Noah. Now in the in the minds of the front office, I'm sure he is. But if you just look at their contributions right now, they're a lot closer than they are apart. Um, but if you look at their stuff. And Noah's had far better stuff at the big league level. He misses way more bats. His slider has looked... Now, Kyle's has looked great at times, but Wasker's has also looked great at times. But Wasker's one of those guys that has serious command issues right now. And Kyle did, but they never seemed as bad as Wasker's. Where on Wasker's, you can say, yeah, um, he doesn't have enough command to be a big league pitcher. And with Kyle Wright, you kind of have this different expectation because he was drafted so highly. But if you just look at their body of work, there's nothing in their body of work to say which one of those guys should be rated higher than the other. You could even make the so, case that what Inoa is doing is more impressive than Wright because he... I agree, because Inoa is clearly not ready. And if I will say this... he's much if, younger, too. Yeah, and it, I will say this. If Wasker hadn't had to be put on the 40-man to protect him, he would not be a major leaguer right now. Agreed. And he he's actually made... I don't want to say he's made the most of his opportunity, but for he's somebody huge that's strides. barely 21 and had hardly pitched over double A, I mean, it was pretty you impressive. Can make, 
you can make the argument that between um, between the non um, Ian Anderson, Freed, and Soroka young guys, the three that we already know about, if you want to make, you can make an argument for the unknown guys that Wasker has actually looked the best. Now the results haven't always matched up, but the process, if you're a process of results guy, you can make the case that Inoa has been more impressive than Wright, Tukey, Newcomb, Bryce Wilson, all of them. Which gives gives me a lot of hope for the future because when all this whole this whole deal gets sorted out and then twenty twenty one and there's like uh, all those minor league teams are uh, are back in the fold. I mean, Enoa's probably not going to be a full time major leaguer until twenty twenty two, but he he needs the reps. He needs to be at Gwinnett, and and this is just another wrinkle of this very niche and bizarre season that that just. It's just another function of 2020 being 2020 is that these guys, they don't have the ability to go down to Gwinnett or or wherever. I mean, even even doing rehab, you know, even doing rehab stints, I mean, it would be that somebody would go and play a game at Rome and just to, just to work on getting their timing back. Well, they don't even have that now. And so going to the alternate site, there, there's only so beneficial that that can actually be is from, from a rep's standpoint. Like I was saying earlier, you're facing the same guys all the time. So, you know, you see number 61 coming to bat. You're like, well, this guy bites on the change up every time. So why would I throw him anything other than that? You know? And so having that level of familiarity with players can really backfire with you. So it keeps pitchers on their toes. I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not giving up on Kyle, Wright. I'm not giving up on any of these guys really. Man, maybe Sean Newcomb. You said last year after the Cardinals series that the fact that things went down in such horrible fashion was going to be a real eye-opener for the front office. And to their credit, they filled a lot of holes and they worked really quickly to do so. They brought back Martin, they brought back O'Day, they signed Travis Darno. Uh, I think that for this year, for as many times we heard you can never have too much pitching, that I kind of get the feeling that they are going to maybe overcompensate just so something like this never happens again. Uh, you need really, really extreme things to f- kind of force your hand sometimes. And that's what happened in, after 2019, and I think it's going to be something very similar for 2020. Well, I've already told you I'm not going to project or even think about any big-time acquisitions coming until it actually happens. Uh, I've got one more kind of negative thing to talk about, if you'll allow me to vent a little bit on this show before we get back to some good things. Before we do, just wanted to let everybody know, just remind everyone that we are brought to you by the fine folks at betonline.ag. By the time you guys hear this episode, there's going to be like uh, 18, maybe 16 baseball games left. You can go to betonline.ag. You can put your money on the Braves if you feel like the starting rotation issues can be overcome. You can put your money on the Orioles. I would bet there's really long odds on them, so you can probably make a lot of really good money if you put some money on the Orioles right now. They have to win, but you know we'll see if that happens. So go to betonline.ag. We are also brought to you by Manscaped. Now, this has been a pretty frustrating couple of weeks, not just in the baseball realm, but just kind of life in general. And just when you think it can't get any worse, the last thing you need, dear listener, is to snag your nutskin on the wrong trimmer. There are several ways that you can avoid turning your underwear into a big bloody crime scene, but the best one is to invite Manscaped into your life. Loyal TPS listeners have heard me preach the gospel of the Lawnmower 3.0's ceramic blade and patent... Pen- <clears throat> 
patented skin-safe technology that will avoid the inevitable bloodbath that is sure to make it, to happen if you use the wrong device. Pro tip, you can even trim in the dark using the Lawnmower 3.0's LED light. There are buku amazing attachments you can use with the Lawnmower in case you want to get creative if you're entering some type of competition because they do have those. And just for yucks, you can opt for the Crop Reviver or the Crop Preserver depending on which phase of attention your drawers currently demand. Go to manscaped.com, use our promo code armchair for 20% off and free shipping. Why pay full price when you don't have to? Once again, that's manscaped.com, promo code armchair, 20% off and free shipping. Once again, TPS is brought to you by Manscaped, the one-stop shop for all your testicular requirements. And go ahead, Dylan, you were saying? Okay, so um, you you kind of brought this up obliquely when you talked about you know Sean Newcomb and you kind of being over Sean Newcomb. Um, I think the organization probably is as well, but it kind of ties me back to what I said last week about the trade deadline in particular and why it infuriated me so much. Not necessarily that the Braves didn't mortgage the farm, not necessarily that they didn't bring in one of these, you know, Tywin Walkers or Mike Miners, because to be quite honest with you, I probably wouldn't give up anything of substance for five starts anyway. Mike Miners has been horrible, so it's not like I would have given up anything for him. Um, the part that bothers me is what happened directly afterwards when within 15 minutes of the deadline ending, you had Alex Anthopoulos jump on and start talking about, um, in, instead of being like, yeah, we just didn't like the value, he had to couch it with talking about how great Kyle Wright had looked in two weeks and how great Mike fulton in particular. The fastball's up, he's put weight on, he looks amazing, yet it goes on 92.9 yesterday and says, and I'm going to quote this to you. I know you're not going to like hearing it, but uh, it would be a disservice to our listeners not to say it, so I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, This was the quote. Um, He continues to work extremely hard, talking about Fulte, but it's hard for me, this is Alex speaking, hard for me to put any type of expectations at this point. He's doing everything he can, and his work ethic has been off the charts. So this this is why I don't, this is why I can't stand when GMs try to do the deflecting speech when they're trying to, to kind of deflect away angry fans from the momentary anger, because inevitably you end up having to walk it back like this. Um, after that, I was expecting if, if Fulte was really looking that good, that he would be starting Thursday and not Robbie Erlin. I was not expecting yesterday to hear tell that not only is Robbie Erlin viewed in a better light than Mike Fulton Evich right now, but so is Bryce Wilson. And so is Kyle Wright. And, so is Josh Tomlin. Um, that was a little bit of a kick to the a little bit of a kick to the balls there, and it's one of those reasons why uh, you and I said this last year, or we, you and me said this after the financial flexibility comment. Like sometimes you just just don't speak that you're going to cause more issues by speaking and trying to deflect than you would if you just didn't say anything at all. And for Fulty. I don't know what to expect from him now. I don't. I, this does not paint a pretty picture of Mike Fultonevich uh, arriving to save the day. Yeah, I, being a being a big faulty guy, I, I was pretty optimistic about the fact that it, it seemed like he was on on the road back. You know, and it's Wednesday, and they they still haven't announced they haven't officially announced their Thursday starter yet. So there's an outside possibility that it could still be him. But all signs are still pointing to Erlin just coming out and throwing three to four and then doing a bullpen game, which is pretty common anymore. I mean, the way you have to do damage control in 2020 is different than 
any of, and not not even just 2020, just this day and age. Being being in the 21st century, there's availability of information and sound clips everywhere, and everything you say gets recorded and can be parroted back. So you got to be careful about the things that you say. And I mean, that's just another really good example. And he he did paint a really rosy picture of of what was going on with Wright and Fulty. And after seeing right last night he did improve there there were some market improvements there but it wasn't enough to really say okay well we didn't feel comfortable surrendering anything of value at the trade deadline it's going to be a real interesting final two and a half weeks of this season if the offense clicks now that Ozzy's back they could they can overcome some bad pitching as they've proven but Let's just hope the vibe in the locker room is good because any type of toxic environment can torpedo this whole thing. I mean, the Phillies and the Marlins are both playing really good baseball right now. And the Phillies, as it stands right now, are one and a half games back. So the Braves are going to have to be on their best behavior on every aspect of this team outside of the starting pitching. And is anything it, else you get is half? just a bonus. Is it one and a half or is it one since the Phillies won last night? Uh, that was a doubleheader. They lost game two. Okay, okay. So it is one and a half. Okay. Well, that's slightly better, but you're right. The Phillies have been playing much better. The Marlins have started playing well again, and the Braves right now are, are playing as bad a baseball as they've played at any point of the season. We've got the, the Nationals coming up, and you put this really interesting note in the uh, in the, the docket here, and uh, I just I want to see if I got this right. There are, um, there are four, all four matchups for both teams are to be decided. Yes, the Braves National Series this weekend, uh, every single starter for both teams is TBD right now. I was trying to see if we were going to face Scherzer, because it seems like we would, but we missed him last time. So, I don't know. We're going to face TBD a lot. Well, that'll be a very interesting uh, an interesting series to get to. Uh, I, I was hoping that we would have a little bit nicer stuff to end on, but... Um, you know, I, I'm really not wanting to just throw around some false positivity at everybody, so... Uh, Things don't look fantastic right now. Um, that can certainly change on a dime. It's great to have Ozzy back. I really don't think Max is going to be out for any extended period of time. I do think he'll be back. Uh, he'll skip this first start, which I think was needed. I think Max has needed a break for a while now. I think it's definitely taken its toll on him that he's had to carry this team rotation-wise basically since Soroka got hurt. And it, it's been it's it's not easy mentally and physically to have to be the guy that goes out there and know you don't have any backup. You don't have anybody to pick you up. So hopefully. This little this little break here can kind of give Max a little bit of a second win, and he can come back and, and be what he was early on in the season because the Braves are definitely going to need it. Um, but as it is, we'll we'll get through the game tonight, and hopefully next week the Braves have gone on another one of these runs, and Ozzy started showing everybody 2019 Ozzy, and we're able to come back, and maybe the Braves can just start winning games by beating teams eight to six and eight to seven. So um, hopefully next week we'll have a little bit of a rosier episode. Uh, as it is, Doc, thanks for joining me. Uh, I think we both have some stuff that we got to get to, though. So for everybody else out there, thanks for listening this week. Uh, we will be back, and there will be brighter days ahead right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Get thanks. Bye. <laughs>